You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. All right. Got to get somebody that knows what's going on. <laughs> All right. It is such an honor to be here today to be able to bring God's word to each one of you. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to just seek the Lord and to follow whatever he calls you to do. Each one of us has a calling in our lives. Each one of us has something that was set up just for us. But it takes us stepping out and actually going into that calling to be able to accomplish what God's got. I'll tell you, I've never fully preached on a Sunday morning to a full congregation. I've preached in jails and, and uh, youth events and all kinds of stuff, but when a- Pastor John asked me last week to uh, preach to the congregation, I was excited, but at the same time, I was nervous. And through this week, I noticed that I was actually getting more nervous to <laughs> preach to you guys than I did when I w- preached into the solitary group at a pretty heavy jail in Colorado. <laughs> it definitely can be... Uh, a way that the enemy will bring fear into your lives too when you are operating in obedience to what God's called you to do. The enemy is going to attack you and try to persuade you to uh, find an out. And <laughs> there's always ways to get out of stuff. But uh, God, God's got our back and he's got the way to stay in. So uh, today we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 20 through all the, 22 all the way through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to discuss our callings um, and that every one of us has a calling on our life that was set up just for you. And you're already been fully equipped for that calling. Whatever it is, God's already equipped you for it. It doesn't matter if it's to be a pastor, a teacher, or an electrician like I do for um, my means of occupation, um, or a doctor, or whatever it be, God's already equipped you with the skills and everything to be able to accomplish that. Um, just like Moses, when, when he was up tending his sheep, God had a calling on him to be able to bring the, the Israelites out of captivity. And he showed up in a miraculous way. It wasn't just a simple way. It was something just amazing, miraculous. Um, if I was to be walking up in the country or in the mountains where we used to live and go camping all the time and hunting, and I saw a bush burning but yet not burning and speaking to me, I probably would have freaked out a little bit. Um, but Moses knew that it was God, just as I would have in that same sense, but he went on and on and on trying to convince God that he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I can't do it because I can't speak clearly. I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because I'm, I've been banished from there. I, you know, it was just constantly one reason after another after another why he couldn't do it. But God was already there. He already had the plan and the, the preparation and everything in place for him to be able to do it. it didn't have to him do it because God's not looking for your abilities. He's just looking for your availability. Are you available? Are you available to go out and speak to the jail? Are you available to serve in the nursery? You know, a lot of people look at that as something, oh, well, shoot, who just wants to sit in there with all them kids? But if somebody doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. So we have to just be available. Go out and serve wherever God has put it on your heart to serve. Um, So in 1 Corinthians, we'll establish how with the right desire, you will always be victorious. With diligence, you will be drawn to the things of God. And with determination, your faith will grow beyond what you know. 
Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 22. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has called, chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, the he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I de determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And I, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Verse 24 says, called, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. That word in the original is kletos. It's to be appointed. So it would say, but those who are to be appointed, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 26 is the calling for you see your calling, calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. That is, for you see your invitation. That's klesis. I mean, invitation, you've been invited into him. He's inviting you for doing this that he's equipped you to. He's not going to force you to it because he's a loving God, a willing God to give you the opportunity and the choice. But he's giving you the invitation and showing you that he's equipped you to do those things that he's inviting you to do. In the end, it said, not many noble are called. There, it's in other translations, it's <clears throat> translated as chosen. And then chosen is the eklomia, is the original, and it means to be selected. God has chosen you. He's pre-selected you to step forward and to do those things which he has called you to do and appointed you to do. Verse 23, a stumbling block. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. <clears throat> the Greeks were expecting a, their Messiah to come and just conquer everything and set Israel back up as the mighty kingdom. And uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Greeks 
thought that somebody coming that's supposed to be a god and dying for them, well, that's, that's just silly. Why would you die? You know, if you're a god, you ought to be, you know, vanquishing everything and being the victor, not the victim. So it seemed like a stumbling block to those that were expecting something else and weren't willing to hear the truth of the message, the love of God, that he loved us so much that he came, he died on a cross for our sins, so that way we could be saved, we could be the victors eventually, and it wouldn't just be, you know, in heaven, because we are, upon receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get our victory right there, our eternal victory. But we also, upon receiving him as our Lord and Savior and inviting him into our hearts, we get victory here on earth. We've already been given the power and the authority to overcome anything the enemy brings against us. If we just focus upon his word, his will, and his ability to overcome, don't, don't allow your situation to dictate your faith. Allow your faith to dictate your situation. <clears throat> Does your desires for, for the things of the world keep you from your calling? What does your attitude say about your situation, your marriage, your job? We all have gone through or have, are going through something that is less than desirable. Sometimes you may even feel that way about what God has called you to do. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that upon receiving Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You no longer have to look at your past, the things that you've done, and, and try to disqualify yourself, because God doesn't see that mess anymore. Upon receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, all He sees is who you are now. He doesn't see who you were. He sees His Son through you, and He sees you in Him. In Psalm 66.10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Malachi 3.3 He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. The process of refining silver, it's a tedious process. You have to take the raw silver material. You put it into a clay pot. At least this is the way it was done back at Jesus' time. You'd put it into a clay pot, and they'd heat that pot to approximately 1,200 degrees Celsius. And at that point, the, the silver would become liquid. The other gunk inside of it, the impurities, would become liquid as well. And the refiner would have to sit there at that pot, just watching that process. And as it slowly melts and it comes into the liquid state, the, the impurities, are also known as drows, would separate completely from the silver, and it would come to the top, the surface. And that refiner would sit there and just skim that stuff off the surface. And then it'd slowly cook more, and it'd skim it off the surface. And that process would continue until the refiner could then see his image in that silver. And it was only upon when the refiner could see his image did he know the process was done. And that, that's why the, they've used, God used the refiner as a illustration for us in the Bible of how he is our refiner of our lives. He sits there refining us, purifying us, taking the impurities out and replacing it with him, the pure love and truth. How do you see yourself? How is your walk with Christ? Do you see yourself as a, as a follower? Do you see yourself as a servant? How do others see you when you're on the job site away from church? How do others see you when you're in school? Do they see you as a Christian? Or do they see Christianity as hypocrisy because of the way you're living your life? And how does God see you? Does he see himself in you? Your desires reflect your attitude. Charles Wendell, 
Um, I'm going to read a quote that he said quite a few years ago. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude in my life. It's more important than education, more important than money, more important than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than a appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding our attitude. We will embrace sorry, that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% on how I react to it, and so is it with you. It's amazing that no matter what situation you're going through in life, your attitude is the first thing that people notice. You can be in, in class, in school, and be struggling with a test or struggling with a, a bully or anything of that nature, and you can say you have a bully attacking you in school. You can get an attitude where you close up and hide in a shell and don't want to talk to anybody and you're kind of short with them, or you can get really ag aggravated and get angry even to the point to where if somebody tries to talk to you because they see something bothering you, you blow up at them. You become the bully. In work, it can be the same way because when we grow up and we're away from the schoolyard, there's still bullies in our life. They, they operate in a little bit different way than coming up and trying to steal your milk jug or something of that nature, but there's still many people in the world that aren't in Christ that will bully you. How do you respond to being bullied? Do you stand firm upon the person that you are in Christ, loving them, but doing it with strength? Because we can easily take that and turn it the other way, like the, the many churches have turned that turn the other cheek mentality where then you just get bullied and pushed around and oh well it's just who they are just let them be and in my personal opinion I think that's the problem with why America is the way it is because the founding fathers just you know they grew up and they didn't raise their their children strong enough on the palm of the word and they took the thing of oh well we just got to love everybody let them be themselves we do have to love them but we have to stand firm on what the foundation of the word says the in in there where in Matthew where it talks about turning the other cheek I did a lot of research on that a while back and in the original the to turn the other cheek it was talking about the slap of the being basically slapped on the side of the cheek it wasn't actually coming up somebody punching you straight outright being rude and obnoxious and wanting to beat the tar out of you it was somebody coming up and challenging you it's also is translated as a um, an insult because Back in those days and even into the years of the Roman Empire and the kings of England and all that, so on, it continued to be. And you'll see it in the movies of that time. Somebody would come up and they'd take off their little pretty white glove and they'd smack you across the side of the face. It was an insult. It was basically challenging in your manhood, challenging who you are, insulting you. And what it was, God was meaning in that turn the other cheek, don't be offended and, and offend back, but to react with love. Correct your attitude and watch what your attitude is and how you should function in that attitude. Galatians 3.22. That's Galatians 
But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as was baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir is, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs with Christ in heaven. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're not just some little thing out in this world that we should be taken advantage of. We have to stand firm upon the calling that God has given us. We have to stand firm upon the word that God has given us to be able to overcome those things. We can't walk around every time somebody attacks us, tuck our tail between our legs and run away. We have to stand tall. You're a child of God. Dedicated is our second point. Verse 26 and 27. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. When I first got saved back in 1999, I was reading through some of these scriptures, and the church that I got saved in, they definitely weren't a faith-preaching church. Um, they still loved the Lord and uh, sought, off, sought after Him, but uh, faith and grace weren't their primary focus. It was a Pentecostal church, and they were more, uh, more focused on hooping and hollering and getting a little silly than um, really focusing on the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with hooping and hollering, dancing around, and speaking in tongues, but if that's your main focus, there is a problem. Faith and grace has got to be the key and the main drive of our lives serving Christ. But I read this, this scripture back then, and, I, and I, I, it was a stumbling block for me. I was like a Jew or a Greek. I, I read that, and it says, God has chosen the foolish and the weak. I was like, I'm kind of offended. I, now I'm foolish? I'm weak? 
It took me some time of understanding the word, growing and understanding what the, wor- the word is and who God is in us, that he's not just meaning that you're weak and foolish, but it's talking about the, the things of the world that are foolish. Yeah. And he's used the foolishness, what worldly th- people think is foolishness, and showed that even the wisest thing in, in man's eyes, in the world's eyes, is foolishness compared to God. Um, you are dedicated to the thing. Are you dedicated to the things of God? Are you seeking after Him? Is He the primary focus? I got Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven through fourteen. Same scripture that uh, Miss Ann shared this morning, and it is a powerful scripture. It says, "For I know the thoughts that I think towards you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope." Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to a place from which I cause you to be carried away. God desires us to seek him. And his word continues to just pour out the scriptures that he says if we seek him with our heart, we will find him. He's not an unreachable God. He's not an unfindable God. He is a living, active God right here, right now. All we have to do is with our heart seek him. Go after him and he is there to be found. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 7.7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We all have that certain thing in our lives that excites us, that draws us to, to it. When we just hear about it, we are drawn to it just because we like it so much. Like it, steak. I love a good juicy steak. Just talking about it makes my mouth kind of water. But any time I walk even by, you go up into Sherman, and there's Gander Mountain is right next to a Texas Roadhouse. And you just pull out of the truck, and you can smell the steak. I'm like, do I want to go here or over here? Just the thought of that thing that my flesh desires just makes me drawn to it makes me earnestly seeking and desiring to have that thing that's the same thing we should do for the god our spirit our heart should be drawn so much towards god that even the mention of a sunday even the mention of a wednesday even the mention of any night of the week when something is happening a teaching of some sort is happening at the church or somewhere else and we have the time and ability to go we should be drawn to go to it if we are fully seeking the lord and fully living for him it will excite us even more than that juicy steak will Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him. Seek him here is, see if I can pronounce this right, ixateo, and it's to crave, to investigate, to demand. So if we are to, he is a rewarder of those who diligently investigate for him, diligently crave him, diligently demand to be in his presence. That is what God desires of us. He, de he desires of us to be so sure of our faith, so sure of who we are, his child, that we can demand to be in his presence. Not just that we can go, oh yeah, I'd, I hope you come and be, in, be with me today, Lord. I'm kind of struggling a little bit. We can demand it of him because he is our father. When, when my children are hurt and at home, like Lindsay, she got bucked off a horse a while back and I didn't have to wait around for her to, kind of think about it. She was kind of put her arm up and I knew, okay, I better get there immediately. And that's the same way where our Father in Heaven is. If we put our arm up, we're needing Him to come, He's going to come. It's nothing that He's got a choice of, ah, now nah, you'll be alright over there. I'm, I'm a little busy over here today. He's going to come and He's going to come a-running. It's just up to us to be able to be bold enough. Word says that we should go after Him boldly. So let's go after Him boldly. <clears throat> where have you set your priorities? Are your priorities on seeking Him? Are your priorities that on going after the things of the Lord or are they going after the things of your flesh? The third thing we're going to discuss is determination. In chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Our faith is supposed to be focused on Him and the power of Him. Power there is dunamis. It means a force, a miraculous power, an abundance of strength and of might. Dunamis is also, the Greek word here was also the, the actual root word that is now used for dynamite. And the power and the force of dynamite is just, was just amazing. And that's why they chose that as the root for when they named dynamite when it was first developed. Because it's just an unbelievable power, especially when dynamite was first created. They just, they were like, wow, this is amazing. And that just reflects the same thing with God in our lives, the power of God in our lives. Our faith must be focused on that, is what the Word says here. It can't be focused on your situation, your job, your marriage if it's having problems, your kids if they're running amok and you can't figure out how to get them to listen to you, to respond to you and respect you. If you're focused upon the Lord and His Word and His will and His ways first and foremost, all these other things are going to come together because His Word is full of abundance teachings. His Word is full of everything of wisdom, and it's not going to lead you astray. If you follow what His Word says about raising kids, if you follow what the Word says about working for somebody, it says that when you are employed by somebody, you are to do all things unto Christ who strengthens you. Everything you do in work, in deed, and in speak should be to the Lord. It doesn't matter if, if you're working at a bar, if that's the job that God's placed you in, use that job to be able to love on those people and let them see a difference in your life so then they'll realize, okay, they're a Christian, they're here and they're not judging me? They're loving me? 
maybe I should go to this church and see what it's all about. We're not here to condemn and to judge. We're here to lead people to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will do the, the change that they need in their lives. We're not here to change them. We're not here to change our spouse even when they're doing something wrong. We're to change us. I heard a, the first year I got saved, I went to a men's conference up in the beautiful mountains up by Keystone, Colorado. Beautiful area. And um, one of the speakers there, he challenged us on two things. One of the things he challenged us on was tithing. He was, spoke all over the nation, even did some out-of-country speakings, and he, it was in the middle of his teaching, and he stopped, and he started talking about tithing. He said, he said well, I don't like doing this, but the Lord says to you, I'm going to do it. And he starts talking about tithing. It's normally not a subject you hear at a men's retreat. And uh, he challenged everybody there that's not tithing to tithe for one, one month. Tithe and be faithful to it. And if at the end of the month they weren't as blessed and more blessed than they were at the beginning of the month to send him a receipt for everything they spent that month, he would double their tithe and send it back to them. And um, we tithed that month. That's, that was a month that we really got dedicated to fully tithing because we did it. At the end of the month, we were, we were pretty low. We were like, okay, uh, we got, this is our last week and our, our, my bank account looks a little worse than it did at the beginning <laughs> of the month. So I was thinking, hmm, I get double my money. And on that Thursday or Friday when the mail came, we get an envelope in the, in the mail with a check in it. About six, eight months prior to that, we had took a bunch of just junk from our house out to this old like barn type place that they did auctions. And it had been six, eight months. We just kind of figured, you know, their normal standard was they cycle it a few times and then they throw it away. Or they'll call you up and say, hey, it's not selling. What do you want us to do with it? We never heard anything, so we figured they just tossed it. And uh, all of a sudden, that week, we get a check that was more than enough to cover every bill that was coming in that week that we were short on plus. And we're like, all right, Lord, it's all yours. We trust you. And if it would have came two weeks prior to it, I don't know that I would have had the same reaction to that check coming right at the point in the time that it came. And the other thing that this gentleman challenged all of us men at that men's retreat, he said, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling with your wife and your wife is not doing what you wish she would do, if your wife is doing X, Y, or Z, whatever it be, and you're not happy about it, you need to change who you are. And we're like, okay, I'm listening, but I'm not liking what I'm hearing. And she said, and he goes, well, if you're expecting your wife to treat you like a king, the king that you think you ought to be over your household, what are you doing to treat her like a queen? Are you coming home with flowers just on occasion just because you love her and she des deserves it? Or are you just doing it once a year when that anniversary pulls along, if you remember it? <laughs> what are you doing for her to treat her like she's a king or a queen that's worthy to be served? If you want to be served, you need to first be serving. And I know it definitely helped our marriage, our lives. Um, I was already, by just giving my life to the Lord, Asked my wife, I completely was a 180 degree different person than I was before. I grew up, left home when I was 13. was on my own and just going my way because I very abusive family background and pretty much every direction of abuse that you can imagine. And uh, I had enough. Once I got healed up when I was 13 and could walk again, because I had uh, four vertebrae in my low back completely ruptured, one in my middle back and one at the base of my neck. Once I could walk, I left. And I went on my own. But then, by doing that, I learned to be a very aggressive person. I took 
aggression out wherever I see, saw fit that it needed to be taken out on. And um, when we got married, I was tried to be a loving person, loving husband. And the first few years we were together was pretty good. And then when we had our daughter, my wife's focus went to her and away from me. And I felt I'm being abandoned again. I completely turned it back into that state and I become a worthless junk person that I was before. And uh, because of that, Christy and I at that time, we separated. We went our separate ways. Um, we literally were living 98 miles apart from each other. Um, I missed Lindsay's first birthday and uh, we're doing our thing. But that summer, God came into my life through what was my selfishness actually, because I was going after the befriended a manager of an auto parts store to try to get uh, discounts because I had an old piece of junk <laughs> truck that I constantly had to work on. This uh, manager was a follower of God. His grandpa was actually a preacher at a church in, in uh, Colorado and through just some time of hanging out with him and everything, he convinced me to go to church one Sunday. And if I went to church that Sunday with him, we'd go golfing, full 18 holes was on him, plus dinner afterwards, anywhere I wanted to go. I was like, man, this is good. <laughs> so uh, I went to church that, Monday, that Sunday morning, showed up an hour early, because I just looked in the phone book to find out what the early service was. I showed up, and they no longer had two services. <laughs> so I ended up sitting there with the senior pastor and the youth pastor for an hour and a half before the uh, service started and I wasn't a very open person at the time to sh open up my heart and share stuff but I walked in that building and and right after walking in I just felt something and God just opened me I was just spewing out like I had had a bad meal the night before <laughs> and um, I ended up never even leaving that church that night and that whole day I was there until about eight o'clock that night just wow. surrendered my life to him and focused on him but even even with that I still wasn't the man of God that my wife deserved until I was challenged to be so. So I want to challenge you guys to, to be that person. Be the person of God that God's called you to be. Not just who you are used to seeing, not, not uh, just seeking after what God has got for you or, or um, what you're experienced to doing, but be the person that the Word of God says you should be. Romans 10, 17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's a growing faith. Our faith is to be growing. Matthew 17, 21, and then Matthew 21, 22, and Mark and Luke, they all have areas where they're talking about the growing faith, the mustard seed faith. The mustard seed is a small, tiny seed that grows into, at that time, the standard mustard seed plant of that era was still a fine tiny seed that it is nowadays we see it and it's just this teeny tiny little thing but back then the type of mustard seed they had common to that region it would grow in excess of 15 feet tall once it was fully matured that's the kind of faith we're to have we're to have something that is this much when we first receive God because it just takes a little bit of faith to make that confession of faith to him to receive him as our Lord and Savior and to accept him um, into our hearts but God desires to see a growing faith. He desires to see something changing. See, if you decide one day that you're going to build a house, finally got, it, got your life to a point where you can set aside, you bought some land, you're going to buy, build a house on it, so you find a contractor, you guys negotiate back and forth, and you come up to a, a, an agreement on the price, and you sign the contract done, it's ready to go, you 
say, okay, get her going, here's the plans, make it happen. And he goes out there and then instead of you going, oh, okay, here, you're gonna build this house for me for $100,000, here's 20,000 to get started. And you go ahead and just walk up and you give him $100,000 cash. That contractor's gonna be pretty dang excited. He's gonna be like, all of it? Nice. And he's gonna get after it and get building on that house with more of a push and priority than he had on the last few houses. But as you get halfway into it, two thirds of the way into it, an average contractor, when they get a lot of money coming in, they're gonna start pushing it out other directions, thinking, okay, well, I can use this money for this and I can use it for that and I can use it to expand here. So by the time you get two thirds into the building of your house, he's almost out of money. So now his dedication to your house is kind of dwindled because now he's having to go after some of these other jobs that haven't paid yet that he can get another check right away. So he starts focusing elsewhere because the determination of that goal is no longer there driving him to it. He's already received what he was normally going to be kind of pushing him along. He's already got it in advance. So he no longer has that draw to push him to get the next step. See, Christ has already paid a full price for you. But even though he's already paid that price, he's not going to back out on you. He's going to continue with you because he's not a, a stopping God. He's a living God. And, and he's just going to keep his focus and keep his drive towards you. But he desires. He's not going to force progress in your life, but he's going to desire to see that continuation of progress. He's going to desire to see change in your life. He doesn't want you to keep coming to him every month, every week, or even every day going, Lord, you know, I've asked you yesterday and even this morning about, you know, my tongue. I kind of slip up and say some pretty bad things. Um, you mind helping me with that again? He's going to help you, but, you know, Word says that a dog returns to its own vomit. And that's basically what we're doing. If we're going for help from the Lord, and then we're not doing anything about it. Because yeah. He gives us that help. How are we going to use that help? Are we going to use that help to go ahead and correct, create, uh, correct some of those things in our life that we're seeking after and we're having problems with? Or are we going to use that help just to get us through that one situation? And then we just keep doing it our way and then we go back to the Father again when we're ready for help again. See, an armadillo, we don't have them up in Colorado where I grew up. They're nowhere to be around. But moving down here to Texas, I've had the, the privilege of seeing them many, many times on the road because I drive on average about 1,200 miles a week, a lot of weeks, and I leave pretty early and get home pretty late sometimes. And that's when those armadillos are out all over the road. Seeing these things, I just thought was really kind of cool when I first saw the few ones in life, not in a zoo and uh, running across the road, but I was kind of amazed when I'd be driving down the road that, man, there's just a whole darn lot of armadillos on the side of the road. It's like, why are, why are they always dead? You'd see more dead than you'd see alive until I started driving earlier in the morning, where it's two, three o'clock in the morning, and they're really out and about, and I'd see them crossing the road. You'd come up on them, they'd shine the lights into them later on, and, and as you're driving up on them, getting closer, they're already 50, 60, even 70% across that dang road, and they finally see you, and the thing is so undetermined, it loses so, so easily loses track and focus of its goal that it sees you, and it freaks out, and instead of finishing on to its, the completion of its goal, it turns around and goes all the way back across the street. You're like, are you kidding me? You're already there, you would've been safe. Now I gotta hit my brakes and try to miss hitting you, just so you won't die, because you're not dedicated to following through with the goal that God has put in your life. 
So we as humans, how many times have we seen a goal that God has called us to do? How many times have God called you and told you to do something? And it, as you're getting closer and closer to that goal, some little obstacle the enemy throws in your life and you go, oop. How many times do we do that? We need to keep our focus on the Lord. We need to keep our focus on him so that way the, the things of the world won't cause us to turn around on what God's called us and told us to do. We can follow through and become the victor out of the situation. See, there, there's a lot of birds that migrate long, long distances. They'll fly, you know, some of them fly hundreds of miles, some of them fly a few thousand miles. There's one from New Zealand, the Sooty Shearwater. And this bird migrates on average 74,000 kilometers or 45,000 miles a year to do its migration plant path so it can fly from where it's at, fly down to migrate, to be able to lay its eggs, spend time with its youngins, get them ready to fly back. It's 75,000 kilometers. That, that comes out to about 310 miles a day that these birds have to fly. That's a pretty good flying. And that's only if you calculate it out figuring flying every day. But it's actually much more than that because they have to have that couple months where they're sitting there raising that, that young, getting it ready to, to fly and take the track back. And we as humans need the same kind of determination to no matter what the situation is, n even knowing that the, the calling on our lives is powerful, the calling of our lives is difficult, we still have to keep our focus on the Lord and keep moving forward to what God has called you to do. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Just got a couple last scriptures for you. Ephesians 5. Start in verse 8. For you were, you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of light. For the, spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So, you must have a solid determination to drive you to complete what God has called you to do. However, if your faith is not planted on the power of God, you will easily lose focus and be lost in the darkness. <clears throat> when we are in darkness, it doesn't take much to make it overwhelming. But when we come in Christ, even just a little bit, our lives are changed by that first exception of Him. It's just a little bit of glow initially, like I was saying. But as we continue to grow in our understanding of the Lord, continue to grow in our walk with God, and going after Him and to Him, our faith, our light, will begin to shine brighter and brighter and brighter until eventually the darkness that's in our life has nowhere to stand. Amen. It cannot, cannot be hidden. It cannot be done. It just is no longer dark. Our life changes from dark to light until there's no longer any dark left. And that's what God desires of us, is to allow our lives to be that light. We need to stand forward with him to where we are the light of the world so we can fully serve him 
upon confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior, you engage your faith. So to sum, sum it up today, we have seen through 1 Corinthians on how with a desire in your heart for Christ, your attitude will reflect him. With a de dedication, you will be chosen to driven to God. And with de uh, determination, your focus will stay on track for what God has called you to do. So we all have a calling in our lives. However, we will never be able to fully fulfill that calling that God has for you if you don't first call on Him. Romans 10.9 says that all who call upon Christ as Lord or confess Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead shall be saved. It's not that you might be saved. If you confess Him with your mouth and believe it upon your heart, it's no maybe. It's a sure thing. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. God's Word says that you will be. It's a done deal. I would like to uh, open up this time that if anybody has not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, or has, but they're not sure if they're actually truly saved, I would like to open up this opportunity for you to receive Him. Because He desires you. He's got a calling for you. He's got something for you in your life. Um, all right. Well, Miss Ann, I want to encourage you guys to keep your focus on Him. Draw nearer to Him. Seek after Him. Because He is faithful that if we seek Him, we will find Him. If we draw to Him, he will draw to us.